right. Well, good morning again. Come on, let's put our hands together for our first-time guests. I feel like we've had church after that video. That is, that is, that is awesome. That was so great. Shout, shout out to, to Joel and our tech team and Kelly with that interview. That was very good. Oh, we'll have that. I'll let you know. We'll have that available after service on our social media. Uh, so, you know, you can rewatch it over and over and over again. But um, in all sincerity, happy Mother's Day. Um, we love you and we're praying for you and we're, we are tremendously grateful for you. And um, today... Um, we'll just shift gears as we continue our series on Nehemiah. You know, we began a series a couple weeks ago on um, the, from the book of Nehemiah and really, really getting a good sense from the Lord for the direction. We've got a few more weeks left in this series. And Nehemiah, if you've ever experienced in your life something that didn't go right, which I, we're not going to ask for you to raise your hands, but I think all of us have experienced in our life when things haven't gone well or things have been broken down or broken and, and, and in some ways shattered in, in pieces, we can have a tendency to try to fix things in our own strength. We can have a tendency to maybe, you know, uh, uh, under-spiritualize in some ways and overcomplicate how we're going to fix this or how we're going to heal this. Nehemiah shows us very clearly in a desperate time for the people of Israel that their city walls in Jerusalem were broken down. And it can read as a very simple story. Okay, what's the big deal? A wall's broken down. This guy gets a group together and rebuilds the wall. On its surface, that is Nehemiah. But there is something strategic taking place that it's part of the story. I love how the Bible plays out that God doesn't just have perfect people in scripture and he doesn't just have a beautiful image throughout scripture no he has some very broken places that are written about that are talked about and Nehemiah is one of those Israel's in a in a tough spot they're in a difficult place and two weeks ago I shared that Nehemiah's heart was burdened he found himself passionate and moving towards, not moving away, but moving towards the broken wall. In fact, Nehemiah 1, just to bring us all up to speed, Nehemiah 1 verse 3, is, it's again a simple verse. It's, it's very plain, easy to understand. But verse 3, it says, it says this. It says, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in great trouble and disgrace. A man by the name of Hanani was coming to Nehemiah, giving him a report of the experience in Jerusalem. And so he said they're in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. Israel, in that moment, with that sentence, we can get an understanding, a glimpse into their journey, because for Jerusalem to have been taken by the Babylonians in 586, for their place of worship to be desecrated and stolen what King David and King Solomon had built. And for it to have been shipped off along with the leadership and the key people, it was far more than just a wall down. They thought they were abandoned. They thought they had been forsaken. 
they thought they thought they had been left out. And the truth is, we get some of the best scripture, my favorite scripture in the prophets. The prophets speak to that lie that sometimes we can embrace. They say, no, God is leading you. He's nurturing you. He's bringing you home. He's bringing you back. You chased after these idols and you chased after this thing that you wanted. And in your own strength, look at the mess it's left behind. And so God comes along and restores. God comes along and redeems. God comes along and heals. And Nehemiah is a part of that story. If you're familiar with the Old Testament or unfamiliar with the Old Testament, this is actually a book called Ezra, Nehemiah. Our translation breaks it up into two books, but it was one book for the Hebrews, for the Israelites, for the Jewish people. Ezra is a two-part play, if you will, on the spiritual renewal. Nehemiah is the practical play on the rebuilding of these walls. And it was more than just getting some good concrete, getting some good stone and bricks. It was more than that. It was a sign of restoration, of redemption, of healing. And let me say, it's a mirror for us to look into that we can have hope that God will restore, that God will heal, that God will redeem, that the good news of Jesus Christ is just not, hey, heaven's coming, baby, good luck. No, it's in our deepest, darkest, most fragile state. God's got a promise over our life that the Holy Spirit still whispers dreams irrespective of how you view yourself, of how you value yourself, and all our insecurities surface, and we say, it's too good to be true. And Jesus smiled like, boy, you don't even know. You have no idea the plans I have for you, the future I hold for you, the abundance I pour out on you. You got no idea, but it's cool. We're patient. And so he brings us along, and he brings us along. Well, the last two messages, it was the broken wall, and then last week, you know, come on, some fire brimstone pastors, they would have come alive last week. We preached on repentance and how we turn away. Can I tell you, we all need repentance in our life. We have to call on somebody. Somebody had to pay for our sins. Somebody had to bring the healing to our life, right? Jesus, the blood of Jesus, still carries the weight of our sin, and it sets us free. And last week we looked at Nehemiah. He didn't try to skirt around it and try to fix it in his own strength. No, chapter 1's got some beautiful verses of Nehemiah confessing the wickedness of the people of Israel, of how they had turned away from God and how the exile they were in was their own doing. And he confessed that, and he repented of that. I talked about That's important to do in our own lives. Hey, this is worth the price of admission right here. Be quick to repent. Be quick to repent. Live life under the covering of God. You go a little astray. You make some bad decisions. Hey, welcome to the party, pal. Be quick to repent. Don't let your conscience get so seared and try to justify your sin. No, 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 no. Find your knees quick. Repent, confess, and get back on that journey. And let's build the walls in our life. Well, today, we continue. That was a lot of content really quick. Y'all got it? Y'all ready? All right, well, let's slow down, okay? I'm in fifth gear. I think it's the Dunkin' Donuts coffee. I'm going to let me get down into first gear. Today, we're going to continue in Nehemiah, and we're going to look at some things that perhaps on first reading of this book, we can take for granted. 
Today I've entitled the message, it's two simple words, plan wisely. Plan wisely. I've asked you the last two weeks to be contemplating, to prayerfully consider where in life there's a wall down, that there's a broken wall. Whether that's something we've done and we've created, or whether it's something that was done to us, but a wall is, is broken. And like Nehemiah, I'm asking you not to avoid it, but to dig in and look at it and to size it up. And today I'm just going to share briefly, I hope, you hope too, briefly on how we now step into planning wisely. You know, part of our spiritual maturity in Christ is we move from everything's only God's responsibility. And we, we realize, hey, we got some skin in the game too. There's some things we have to own. There's a way of partnering with our prayers to rebuild, to restore, and to redeem the areas of our life. I, I learned that several decades, well, not several decades, but a couple decades ago. I'd be uh, uh, making a mess of maybe uh, 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 something financially, and I'd just, man, get to the altar and pray and pray and pray. And you know what? God's so faithful, he would move. But eventually the Holy Spirit was like, hey, Paul, plan wisely. Hey, God. Thanks. You know, it's, it's kind of like, <laughs> we can though, here's what's wild, here's what's wild. We can have areas in our life and we can just over-spiritualize, man, we're just going to pray. And you know, people can use prayer to delay somebody. You ever done that? Thank you, that one person, thank you. We're not alone, right? We're not, whew, pressure's off. Okay, I've got one other. It's like, man, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to pray about it, I'm going to pray about it, your, your wife or your mom. Do something, son. <laughs> Do something, husband. Quit praying about it. Well, I just, just want to pray and make sure God's, God's in tune. <laughs> Everybody could see you just delaying. And so I'm going to help you, I hope, plan wisely. We're going to talk today a little bit about vision. And my prayer is that vision would rise up in and over your life. Don't live life as a sitting duck, just waiting for life to happen to you, let's spiritually be proactive and have a vision for our life. Sure, we can't plan everything. And part of me is like, thank God for that. But we can sure be responsible with who the Lord's entrusted to us and what our responsibility is and our purpose is and our hope is. So, today, plan wisely. We're about to get into Nehemiah chapter 2. Not just yet, but we're, we're headed there. We're going to read a portion of scripture. But when it comes to vision, vision, that word, vision, to see, to look beyond, to get a glimpse of where we're headed, what we're doing. When you think of vision around Jerusalem at the time of the writing of Nehemiah, He's looking, he's seeing, and the first thing he encounters is a problem. Vision is always rooted in a problem. It is. Vision, it's like, can you get more positive? No. Come back next week. A vision is always rooted in a problem, something. Now, the problem may not be major, or it might be. 
But when we look around Jerusalem, Nehemiah's vision, he saw a problem. The wall was down. This incredible temple during Jerusalem and Israel's golden era was tremendous. It was beautiful. I've been, I've even tasted, not tasted, that's disgusting. I've seen the Western Wall. I've seen people praying and how the Israelites, day and night, just at the altar, and uh, for them, at that wall, praying and interceding, and they're putting prayers, and they're going through all the motions. And that's just a brief part of this spectacle of a temple. It was incredible. Jerusalem's walls, though, have been torn down. Nehemiah saw the problem, right? That is the broken wall. Before we get a vision, we have to see that there's a need, that there's a problem. God's perhaps stored in your life. He may be saying, this is the time for your marriage. Don't neglect the broken wall. How many times am I going to bring up this area and you turn a blind eye? Don't turn a blind eye. He may be saying that, that parents, your kids are growing. And some of you, they can't grow fast enough. But God's saying, man, slow down, peel back. Don't invest everything in work. Don't invest everything in their extracurricular activities. Do, but don't. Have measure, have boundaries. There may be a wall for you. It's personally, there's a cycle of sin in your life and you just can't get out of it. God's saying, don't avoid it. Don't neglect it. Don't wear it as a yoke that you will forever be trapped. No, 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 no. Get a vision. See the problem. See the problem. Don't walk away. Zone in. This is the season to address the broken walls in our life. Second, for Nehemiah, we see that it was cloaked in prayer. Nehemiah 1.9, he quotes scripture to God. I love it. He was really leaning into a passage we looked at last week, Exodus 34, chapter, uh, verses 5 through 7, and he's praying to God, and he's calling upon the character of God described in Exodus 34, 5 through 6. And he makes this statement. He says, then even if your exiled people are at the farthest horizon, I will gather them from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling place for my name. Another way of saying it is, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we've gone our farthest, when we've run beyond the boundary markers God set in place, even then, if we return, if we repent, if we confess, God brings us home. God welcomes us home. Beautiful, beautiful passage. If you've not read it, I encourage you, spend some time in Nehemiah 1. Well, we move now into Nehemiah chapter 2. We're going to read 10 verses together. It's a conversation Nehemiah is having with king, with the king. And here is how the conversation goes. It says, verse 1 of chapter 2, In the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was brought for him, I took the wine and gave it to the king. I would not been sad in his presence before. So the king asked me, Why does your face look so sad when you are not ill? This can be nothing but sadness of heart. I was very much afraid, but I said to the king, may the king live forever. It's a good opening line. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my ancestors are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? 
The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven, and I answered the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to the city in Judah where my ancestors are buried so that I can rebuild it. Then the king with the queen sitting beside him asked me, how long will your journey take and when will you get back? It pleased the king to send me. So I set a time. I also said to him, if it pleases the king, may I have letters to the governors of Trans-Euphrates so that they will provide me safe conduct until I arrive in Judah? And may I have a letter to Asaph, keeper of the royal park, so he will give me timber to make beams for the gates of the citadel by the temple and for the city wall and for the residence I will occupy. And because the gracious hand of my God was on me, on me I pushed the envelope a little farther. And the king granted my request, so I went to the governors of Trans-Euphrates and gave them the king's letters. The king had also sent army officers and cavalry with me. When Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite official heard about this, they were very much disturbed that someone had come to promote the welfare of the Israelites. <laughs> Let that last line sink in. <laughs> There's some people in your life who don't see the broken wall that you see. There's some people in your life who don't give a rip that walls are down. They don't see it. It doesn't burden them. It doesn't impassion them. You don't look to others. You look to God. See that broken wall. Get a word over that broken wall. Don't let shame. Don't let insecurities. Don't let past mistakes or your failed attempts talk you out of rebuilding the wall. God's called you to rebuild. We'll get to more of that in the later messages of this series. But for now, we're looking at Nehemiah getting that vision. He saw a problem. This is going to be pretty straightforward. The plan is this. First, he got a vision of a better future. He got a vision of a better future. may not seem like much to you, but I want us to say this together. I will have a vision of a better future. It's very spiritual. <laughs> it's very spiritually mature to have a vision of a better future. You don't have to know all the details. You may have one thing in your mind. But can I tell you, faith, it's a substance. Fear is a very similar substance. It's both looking out and having a vision, but seeing different results. Fear, which, by the way, our culture is consumed with. You talk about a billion, trillion, quadragazillion dollar industry. It's fear. Fear sells. Fear functions really well. The enemy's tactic is to talk us out of a vision of a better future. Hey, all you may need is a church who says over your marriage, it'll get better. It'll get better. A, a, a church that says over your relationships that are breaking down, hey, you can trust God. I've seen him work miracles. I've seen him redeemed. I've seen him bring healing. Over your finances, hey, 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 the enemy's not going to get the end game. I know you may have some regrets and some remorse, but let's see what God can do. You want people in your life, I'll get to that in a minute, who speak words of hope, of life, of peace over your situation. Nehemiah had a vision 
of a better future. Why was he the only person moved? I don't know. It's one in my book of questions for God in heaven. But Nehemiah was it. He was not satisfied. He was not complacent. His beloved homeland, the city, Mount Zion's walls are down. God always uses people. God saw Nehemiah in his heart responding. He says, man, I've got a vision. There's a better future than this ruckus and these broken walls. And he does that in every generation. He does that in every season throughout history. Christians, time and time again, are continuing to make a difference in the world around them because they don't buy the lies that the enemy gets to speak fear over our future. They keep stepping up and stepping in and making a difference in the world around them. And for you, I want to encourage you, have a vision of a better future. But what if I don't see it? I don't know. How about, quote, God's word and what it says over your future? Sometimes all you need to hear is, I will live and not die. That's it. That's it. I don't care if you take that verse way out of context until you find some better scriptures for the context you're in. I just said that. You're welcome. I made it. Sometimes we're waiting and waiting to get so doctrinally, theologically correct, and the Holy Spirit's like, no. This is theologically, doctrinally correct. I'm inviting you in to hear my rhema word over your circumstances. I'm inviting you to hear what I'm speaking over your life and your situation. You need, if there's a broken wall, you need to, through God's word, through the power of the Holy Spirit, approach it and set your eyes and see. No longer will the enemy knock me down. No longer will he talk me out. I'm going to stand by faith and declare the truth. My God, maybe all you got. I will live and not die. I will live and not die. Like that's somebody in the gospels dying and says that, right? So we take, take that verse and we begin to apply it. Man, my finances, I will live and not die. My workplace, I will live and not die. <laughs> Come on. You just look up, look up to your boss. I will live. And not die. You know, I don't know. But you, you get a vision. I mean this sincerely. You get a vision for a, of a better future. You know, Proverbs 29, it's a critical verse. If you've never recognized this in life, where there is no vision, do you know what happens? Netflix. Oh, y'all haven't read the Bible. Netflix. Prime video. 22-year-olds in a generation grow up paying... Uh, playing 10,000 hours of video games, the average American male in our society. By 22, y'all. I love some Super Mario Brothers, don't get me wrong. But 22,000 hours? Come on. Or 10,000 hours when you're 22. Right. No, you got the scripture right the first time. Where there is no vision, the people perish. You got to have a date night if it's your marriage. You got to have some time to... To not FaceTime your spouse, but actually, you know, notice they still have a face. And talk to it. You know? Let, let them talk. That's my thing, right? Let, let them talk and, and, and hear. I mean that very sincerely, though. Where there is no vision, the people perish. Can I tell you, one of the plagues in 
um, I, I would say in, in our culture today is that people are getting a vision from the wrong source. Nobody knows that God really is the dream giver. Nobody knows that God's the one who, who created the earth, created things into, be, into being. He spoke a word over your life. And sometimes we're just waiting like, hey, just, just, just uh, I wish I had a word over my life. God's inviting you to discover the word over your life and over your situation and over your circumstances. Quit buying and borrowing somebody else's word. Get your word. Get your vision because God's created you uniquely. He believes in you Way more than anybody surrounding you. He knows how to deal with false. That's why I tread lightly. You may not know this about pastors, but we get asked a lot of questions. And sometimes people need a lot of advice. One of the things I try to always do is pray. Because I realize, that you're like, well, no doubt. You'd be surprised. Sometimes us pastors need to peel back and pray. Part of the reason I do that is because you, you don't want, my wife will confirm, you don't want me giving advice that it's not from God's word or from the Holy Spirit. You know? And you know us shortcomings of men. We got all the advice we could ever need for every situation. We like, oh, you need an opinion? I got one. Like, it's just a gift us, us, us males have. I don't know, you know. Sometimes you got to pull it out of us, but thanks for asking. Here's a book, you know. It's like, here's what I'm saying, though. Here's what I'm saying. Nehemiah saw a vision. He had a vision of a better future. It sounds simple, but I want you to think the entire movement of Nehemiah takes place because he had a vision of a future. A vision. Three arenas we'll talk about in the subsequent weeks where I think the enemy attacks us and blinds us to vision is our relationships. Sometimes our, we have no plan, no vision for our relationships. Sometimes our finances, we, we got no vision, no plan. And, and sometimes our faith. Our faith has no plan, no purpose, no vision for moving forward. I would like to say that for the last 30 years, you know, spiritually speaking, I've always had a vision. And I've, you know, whiteboarded it out and everything's great. And spiritually, no, but I'll tell you, five years ago, I was reading a parenting book. So we're talking about parenting. And God showed me what a victim mentality I had. It was beautiful. Worst devotional moment of my life. Because how many of you know? Come on. Well, don't raise your hand. But when you're a victim, you love victimhood. You don't want responsibility. I mean, that's the last thing. Like, ah, no God. No God. You are changing my perspective. And I am comfortable. And this is convenient. I would rather blame everybody else for the vision I'm having to trudge through. I'd rather just blame it on my parents, blame it on my wife, blame it on my kids. And God's like, shut up, son. Shh, sip. And he's like, you are living life irresponsibly. He called me up. He called me out of that. It didn't happen overnight, but a lot happened overnight. It just like was a stronghold. It's one of the few times. I felt, I don't know how else to say it, but I just felt like something, ooh, a little lighter back there now. Because I bought a lie. I thought, man, I just, I just, I don't know, just vision here, vision there, vision there. I'll just accept whatever. And God showed me, no, I've called you. I've given you a calling and a purpose. And you have to settle that in your heart. God, where is my broken wall? Begin to look at it and to begin to say, man, I'm going to envision a better future. 
but envision a better future. God can restore, as Scripture says, what the canker worm has stolen. Don't always know how. Don't always know his timing. But I know that he can and that he will over your life. I, I, would, I would say it's part of the motherly instinct of God. It's part of that tender and compassionate. You can read much about it in the Psalms. And, and what it is is God is near, for example, the brokenhearted. What would that mean practically? It means that in our broken place, like a tender word, your mom will come or a mother figure in life will come and just encourage you, equip you, say a word of life. I'm so grateful for, in this church, the mothers, the grandmothers, the great-grand, no, I'll stop, but you know, those of you who speak a tender word at the right time, can I tell you, it's so important and and it's incredible that, that I would say that's part of who God is, part of his nature. He wants to whisper that to your life. The other, the other couple thoughts, real quick. We need a vision of a better future. Secondly, very important, we need wise counsel. Wise counsel. It's quick what we read. It's just like a little drop in the paragraph. But Nehemiah 2.4, before he loaded it on the king, this one line, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Then I prayed to the God of heaven. Before, before the business transaction, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I pulled in a new partner, the moment I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I started dating this person, then I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I filed, I prayed to the God of heaven. Before I gave up, I prayed to the God of heaven. We need wise counsel in our life. I'm grateful to be maybe on the other side of Nehemiah's situation that I don't just have to pray. That's where we start. We need a word. We need a moment. We need to seek God's wisdom and counsel. But unlike Nehemiah, I've got this before me on a daily basis. Unlike Nehemiah, I've actually, I, I can because of the accessibility of Scripture. Do you know there are these on phones now, y'all? They've got Bible apps with plans. <laughs> no. And what we do is we read God's Word. We get the wise counsel. We get the wise counsel. But we also invite the right people in to our situation. Right? If we're going to build the wall, we need to check whose counsel we're getting to help build the wall, right? If you're building a wall in your home, are you going to call lawn cure? That's an easy question. It's no. No is the answer to that. Some of you are all like, maybe, maybe. <laughs> all right, if you're going to build a wall in your home, are you going to call lawn cure? No. If, if, if you want to uh, be healed, in your marriage, or be healed in your faith. You got to call, you got to get counsel. And here it is of people that have gone before you who are, have evidence of fruit of that in your life. Wise counsel to build the wall correctly, we're going to need the correct help. Nehemiah's prayer in chapter one, it's a reflection and passages of scripture to God. Proverbs 12 15, the way of fools seems right to them, but the wise listen what? 
We're going to need some help. Amen? They need some people around us. We're going to need a community to speak life and speak hope, speak wisdom to us. My pastor used to say, you need, you need people in your life who know you, K-N-O-W. Then he said, you need people in your life who know you, N-O, 10 exclamation points. People who, no, no, but they also know who you are. It can be so easy to isolate. We're in a culture, it can be so easy to isolate. Spirituality has never been more convenient. There are many people who, who, who make an argument, man, I just don't believe in that organized religion. <laughs> As Graham Cook says, have you tried disorganized religion? You don't want that. You want to be with people who can give you wise counsel. I have this for three wise counsel tips. All right, three tips for you. When you're looking for wise counsel, find people with more experience. More experience, some season to their stake of life. Some people with more experience. Find people, here it is, with fruit in their current season. That's the big one. Because here's the temptation. We can ask people we know are going to... Send us the information we want to hear or tell us what we want to hear. Right? On your phone, you have that favorites list. There may be two or three people. I'm just proposing. I'm not stepping on your toes. There may be two or three people on your favorite list that when fear is rising up, you do not need to call them under any circumstances. <laughs> like, you know what? You're going to go on my fear favorites list. No, I'm, but I'm telling you how easily we get talked into or talked out of areas in our lives. So find people with more experience. Find people with fruit in their current season. Find people with fruit that corresponds to the advice that they're giving. Point in case, before Kelly and I had children, any Walmart at the time, Publix, grocery store, gas station, we knew how to parent better than anybody else. And so on occasion... We would go into a Walmart and, and see a child screaming and then falling on its back doing snow angels and then kicking and screaming and making noises that at that moment Kelly and I were unfamiliar with. And, and thankfully we never crossed any boundaries, but we kind of made that eye roll like we know way better than they do. And then we had kids and um, once or twice... They had that same behavior at church, I mean at Walmart, um, <laughs> and we realized, ooh. And so sometimes, though, sometimes, right, if you're a parent, <laughs> don't ask Uncle Bob for parenting skills, right, if he doesn't have kids, or if his kids want nothing to do with him. You know, maybe, maybe talk, talk through some of that. Can I tell you, though, always keep your ears open from a word from heaven. Because sometimes God will use Uncle Bob with a word from heaven. So we got to remain sensitive and tender-hearted. Sometimes God's doing more in Uncle Bob's life than we realize. Why I'm talking about Uncle Bob, I have no idea. So let's get back. <laughs> find people with more experience. Find people with fruit in their season. Find people with fruit that corresponds to the advice. I have this statement. It won't come in 
up in your notes, but it's true. You can argue it to the ground, but you'll know that this is true. The voices in your life determine the vision for your life. The voices in your life determine the vision for your life. Some of you, it's been incredible to see what God is doing in your life over the last year, two or three years, as this voice has replaced some other voices. That the voices you heard growing up of how you amount to nothing, how you can accomplish anything, how it will never work out. But as you've dove into the word of God, you've read of how God calls you blessed, how he calls you his daughter and his son, how he promises to meet you in your life. And so where at one point you had no identity or a broken identity, as the voice of God's life over you, has gotten louder and louder. It's given you a vision for your life. He's done this with me and that he's spoken. Paul, I call you son. I call you beloved. I call you child. I call you pearl of great price. As God begins, as we begin to take responsibility for the voices we let in, it begins to shape. I want you to hear that. It shapes our heart, shapes our identity, and moves us forward into all that he has for our life. It's remarkable that if we will be intentional to keep a guard on the voices we let in, it's amazing the peace that we can live in. You know that? Last year, this became very true over my life. I was very cautious of what news I was letting in. Because I don't know how y'all's uh, coronavirus experience was. But how many of you know the news had a lot to say? About everything. I found myself getting on some shaky ground. And, you know, the enemy time, some other things in life and in seasons. And all of a sudden it's like the circumstances... The climate culturally gets so loud that you have to silence them and let Jehovah speak peace be still. And then when you lean in, what happens? You can start saying, hey, you know what? I've never seen the righteous forsaken or his children begging for bread. I could sleep with that. Thank you, Jesus. You know, Paul, I own the cattle on a thousand hills. Are you sure? I'm sure. You're, you're not going to lack for anything. That didn't happen overnight. And I still have my moments, but can I tell you, when we discipline ourselves, like Nehemiah and the Israelite culture, that they recounted the story, remembered, rehearsed, they knew the word of God, and it began to lift them up. Do you know that the nation of Israel, it was a little squirrel moment, but the most persecuted nation, country, group of people, you won't be surprised to know is the nation of Israel. And yet, it's like God has shielded them from so much. Even in their darkest moments, you will hear their people testify of the faithfulness of God. It'll, it'll move you if you ever look at some of the stories, not only in Scripture, but even in the past century or so. It's like... How? They'll testify to the faithfulness of God. Well, where does that come from? Is it just, are they just born with it? No. 
they've leaned in and let certain voices in and other voices remain out. Two more thoughts in 30 seconds. Vision for a better future, wise counsel. Three and four. Three is resources. Plan accordingly. Resources. Nehemiah had some specifics down. He had some specifics down. He knew he needed these letters. He had been thinking. He had been planning. He had been preparing. There's some things. At first, it's just the wall. But secondly, we begin to get inside of the resources that it will take. Amen? God's going to meet those resources. He's going to make a way. And fourth is, (laughs) when you have a plan, obedience is key. Obedience is key. You have to actually work the plan. Work the plan. I remember it's a business book. It's called E-Myth Revisited. It's, it's, it's older now, but it's still so relevant. And it's, well, I'll just tell you candidly, the, the byline is it's E-Myth Revisited. Why 95% of small businesses fail. It's like, well, this is intriguing. And I read the book, and, and what was it? The plan lacked resources and follow-through. So sometimes in our building of the wall, we've got to slow down and take time. Nehemiah chapter 1 happens in the fall. Nehemiah chapter 2 happens in the spring. It's called prayerfully planning before you approach the king in Nehemiah's case. Nehemiah 1, you read it, it's in the fall. He gets the news, there's some time, there's some internal prayerful consideration, there's some preparation that takes place. What resources will I need? And then finally, that fourth point, he steps out in obedience. Amen.